We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rippy Writes with Brian Scott. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Wednesday? I'm Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Rights Podcast. We've got former Ole Miss quarterback Jackson Prep legend Ryan Buchanan in the co-host chair in his normal Tuesday slot. We talked a lot of Jackson Dart, what his ceiling is, how to evaluate his play through three games, what needs to be seen, and really it's still a, it's still a lot. They haven't really been forced into a situation where he needs to carry the offense or complete throws um, you know, on crucial downs and games because Ole Miss has destroyed everyone. Anyway, not to give it all away, we got into a lot of that. Couple, uh, couple of theories of around quarterback play as a whole in college football, and uh, some uh, <laughs> couple a uh, Hugh Freeze story at the beginning that he uh, that yeah, you'll just have to listen to it. It was it's very on brand Hugh Freeze. Anyway, before we get to that though, I wanted to remind you, podcast is brought to you by Mims Insurance. Matt Mims is an independent insurance agent based in Oxford. Everything's expensive right now. Gas, groceries, you name it. Inflation's high. You don't need to be losing money just because you don't know how the ins- how to approach the insurance process and how it works. It can be confusing. It can be overwhelming. Which agency do you go with? How do you get the best quote? Who's treating you the right way? Who's trying to one-up you and get into your wallet a little bit? Matt Mims eliminates all of that. He's an independent insurance agent licensed anywhere in the state of Mississippi. So if you're anywhere in Mississippi, he can help get you insured. All you do is you give him a call. You go 601-218-7854. You give him a call. You tell him I sent you. He will get understand whatever it is you need insured. A house, boat, car, life. I don't know what you people have going on, but whatever it is you need insured, he will shop your he will shop your quote around to 10 different agencies, find the best one that fits you, the most affordable one, and he brings it back to you and boom, problem solved. Isn't that easy? That doesn't sound overwhelming, does it? All you literally have to do is dial one phone number, 601-218-7854. Great guy, been a friend of mine a long time, big old miss guy based in Oxford, loves helping people out, loves doing business with other Ole Miss people. I wouldn't steer you the wrong way. He's someone I trust, and he's going to make sure you have a seamless insurance process. You're treated fairly, and you're going to get the best quote possible. It's a win-win situation all around. Check out my friend Matt Mims at Men's Insurance. Appreciate them sponsoring the show. 
podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Getting all kinds of questions about signups and promo codes. That is always great news as more and more people are turning to Skybox. This is usually when you kind of see the uh, – the turn towards the, my friends at Skybox. You get about two week, two three weeks into the season, guys start losing some cash on their own, and they're like, you know what? Why don't we give the professionals a try? Which is always great. Skybox are the professionals. They are going to make sure they're the only consistent way to profit in the long run. Is really what it comes down to. You're not going to do it in the long run off your own brain. They're the professionals. They send you a nice clean spreadsheet via, or I say spreadsheet picks list of picks via email every week confidence ratings, all kinds of different stuff in there. And they're going to make sure you bet smart, you bet wisely, and you're on the right side more often than you're not. You can choose a picks package that fits your price range, month long, season long. I'd recommend just signing up for the all year, all sports pass. It's going to pay for itself and then some, but whatever it is, they're going to have something that fits your price range. You can even try it for a day. So stop losing money. Stop having your bookie text you on Monday mornings, asking you to square up and you text him for a change and say, Hey, where's my income at? So check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Once you decide on a package, use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, and that will get you 20% off your purchase. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. All right, here is Ryan Buchanan. All right, we now welcome on former Ole Miss quarterback, Jackson Prep standout, Ryan Buchanan, All-American young man. This is our uh, normal Tuesday night slot as we've got uh, talk some quarterback play as the Rebels dismantled Georgia Tech 42 nothing. We'll probably get into uh, next week uh, a little bit as well as they face Tulsa. What's up, my man? How are you? What's been happening? Uh, doing good. You know, watch the Rebels last week and uh, feeling pretty good about Tulsa. I know nothing about them, but uh, it's not, seems like another another you know good team we can put up. Hopefully, 200 yards on the ground again. I was about to say that would make two of us. I started looking in a little bit at Tulsa today. They're decent. Like they're, they, they're not a terrible um, American conference school, um, but I don't think it's anything Ole Miss will struggle with. I pushed back the start time on you a little bit today. I was uh, headed home from the driving range. I'm playing in a golf tournament this weekend on the coast uh, with some of our guys. So it's, it's called the Slavic Invitational. Um, Jeff Holt, it's on the coast. So Jeff Holt's running that whole deal. Um, it's that, that blue hat he wore in college. You know, every friend group has a hat guy who was like, does he own two hats or is this just this one hat he's going to rock for four years? That like light blue hat he rocked everywhere. That's apparently this tournament. So I was like, I haven't picked up a golf club in six weeks. I should probably go to the range. That would probably help things um, to <laughs> compete for that C-flight hardware on Sunday. So that's, uh, we've been working it out on the range this week. How was your golf game? Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's there uh, sitting around up. Uh, you know, home course again. I say home course because that's 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 makes a big difference than playing away. You know, around the seventy fives to eighties. So we're, we we worked our, our ass off since uh, since college to hopefully consistently break eighty. So that's the only thing I could compete in is golf. So it's kind of where we're sitting at right now. Are you underselling it? I was told. I remember playing with you a couple of times. I thought you were around par uh, at one point. Uh, you know, post college, were you you know, dipping in? Yeah, one yeah. It, it depends how it depends how much I'm playing. I mean, if you, but I don't, I don't, I don't like practicing. I don't like playing every single weekend. I like four man scrambles and usually, you know, pay a hundred bucks and it's as much beer as you want to drink. So that's a lot more fun to me than trying to grind it out all the time to lower a handicap. So whenever I actually do play in something, I got to record my own score. Uh, you know, it, it's usually sitting around like a 75 to, to 80. 
Yeah, no, I'm with you. Of all the just nonsense my father's taught me, one of the smart things he's taught me is like he only like posts like six rounds a year. It's like the club championship and a couple others where you're playing it down because your handicap's never actually real. If you're just posting no. a Sunday game where you roll it, don't put everything out. It's like, it's like, uh, is this guy six or is he a 12? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we got that going on. It felt nice. So, yeah, I actually got out to the range today. I was like, you know, this practice thing, there might be something to it, but I just don't love it. So we'll probably uh, not make that a habit. We got it out there. Practice is probably a lot more fun if you have a mountain house somewhere or out west. That's when actually it's enjoyable, not when it's 98 degrees. So yeah, big difference know, in practicing down here. Having your own practice facility would be sick. You know, no no commoners allowed. You know, the Jim Nance, like 100 years. I was about to say Nance. Yeah. I'll take Jim Nance's. That that would I would practice if I had that set up, but uh, we're we're just sticking with the, the normal driving range for now. Um, all right. So as we get into it, we were talking a little bit this weekend. You called me a couple of times during the game, and we're talking through some stuff. And it was interesting hearing you talk through uh, kind of a couple of the dart drives. I would say there was some good stuff and there was some bad stuff. We kind of got the full experience with that. Ole Miss destroys Georgia Tech, forty-two to nothing. You know, I didn't know what I expected from this game. Um, I didn't think it would necessarily be close from everything I kind of knew and heard about Georgia Tech. We had an uh, a Georgia Tech writer on earlier in the week who was been he was big into like advanced analytics and he was like, "Look, this team's staring three and nine straight in the face. They're not good." But I didn't think it would be like that. And so before we get into the quarterback piece of it, I'm just curious. You know, when you go on the road play an ACC team like that, no matter how good, no matter how bad, and you knock the wind out of their sails that quickly. I had kind of a take um, on the post-game show on Saturday talking to Chase Neal that I thought some of that was indicative of the culture Kiffin's built. I mean, they went right down the field and scored. They blocked a punt. They scored. They got a couple more stops and scored again. And that game was pretty much over before it started. And I think, I don't know, just in past years, good old Miss teams have kind of gotten in no man's land and really struggled in games like that. And I'm just curious if you think like that there's some truth to that. It, that's kind of like, okay, this is kind of the culture he's built. It's very business-like. They're just kind of go about what they do and they destroyed them. Yeah. It's uh that is a different culture and a different mentality when uh, if you're scoring point, points on special teams and you're scoring points um, on, on the defense and, you know, when your offense doesn't do as good and you're still frustrated just because, you know, you may be winning a game single-handedly. I just feel like, you know, in the past, you know, decades of Ole Miss football, typically, again, we, we play down to competition and, and seeing, what, you know, how Kiffin views this and how frustrated he gets if we don't do what we're capable of. It, it's nice to see as a fan. And, and again, like you, you put, you take the wind out of their sails right off the bat, you block a punt, and, you know, obviously Georgia Tech wasn't that strong, but you go down and you just run it down their throat and wears down a defense. Then you turn around and you block a punt, you're up 14-0. You score that next possession. They they don't even want to be on that field anymore because they know what's coming. They know they can't stop, especially if it's a run game. That's just more deflating than the passing game because it takes so much out of you, it takes so much out of defensive line. But um, yeah, and I definitely think that's a, a a cultural shift that if we play, you know, an out of conference game like this, we expect to take wins like that, um, unless it's you know top fifteen, top ten program. So. I'm glad they expect that, and I think Kiffin, just from his experience and at, at large programs, I mean, my, he was underneath Saban. That's that's a fact. I mean, he saw how he ran that program. Uh, he was in the NFL for a brief stint, and you know, uh, and whatever happened at Tennessee, what happened at Tennessee. But at the end of the day, the guy's been around. He saw sees what winning programs have been like, and it's not like we're not hiring a coach that just came up from 
a smaller school with the first time being on a big stage because well, those guys State, are, per se. Yeah, they, there you go. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> you just run a program different and you expect better results, um, even with the win in the column. So I, I think, you know, you're exactly right about what you're saying. I think it's a cultural shift and he expects more of his team and his players, which is great. And to, uh, to kind of add on to that a little bit, you know, Hugh Freeze had some incredible wins and some incredibly, I thought, well-coached and called games in his era. Um, a couple of them stick out. I thought that Alabama game in 15 was one of them. Um, I'm trying to think of another one. That LSU game in 13 was just another just really, really well-coached, well-called game, I thought. But then there were some head-scratchers, right? Everyone points to the 15-1 against Memphis. Arkansas in 15 and in its own right was weird. I, just someone that went through it as a player, like – not, not that you would go through and say, you know, I know we're not prepared this week, but as an inexperienced coach and then being able to kind of watch it on the outside, like, can you kind of see now, like, oh, okay, I can see how, like, there were a couple of letdowns there because Freeze just wasn't as experienced. Like, is there anything to that at all? I'm just curious. You know, he had a lot of variance in uh, some of the highs and the lows. And that some of that seems natural with a guy that's never been on that stage before, as you just alluded to. Um. You know, it's it's really I cannot say that one way or another. I know he schemed, and I think this is even with experienced coaches. Like he schemed extremely well for those big notable wins that we know of. Um, Memphis, you know, we look. We came out hot. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, he drew up yeah, a trick play that we were right. going to run the first play of the game. We practiced in the hotel. I mean, it was a double throw, throw it out wide to Laquan, let Laquan throw it a hundred yards. He literally had the strongest arm on the team that year, like more than Chad. It was kind of crazy. So like he he could scheme real well. Uh, but, like, I, you know, the Memphis game and, like, the Florida game, Florida was tough. They had our number. They were a darn good team with Will Greer. Like, I mean, they, they were they were really good. I mean, they went to the SEC uh, championship that – I think so. Maybe they went to – yeah, the SEC championship that year. Or He was also go, on Royd, so should – why is that well, not that, – that, Yeah, the PED is probably that, – maybe that helped a little bit too. But they were a good football team. I don't, You know, the thing is, like, talking about inexperience, I mean, the only inexperienced thing I could think of is some – I don't know if it's a crazy situation, but, like, when we lost in 2014 to LSU, um, the 10-7 to game, yeah. you know, we had a 45-yard field goal on the right hash with Gary Wonderlich kicking. Even though he's a freshman, he's – you know, Gary was a stud. And, uh, you know, he get out there, and, I mean, I was holding for that. And it was a situation like the refs were just standing over the ball as the play clock winded down. So they were holding the game clock, but play clock's going down, and they waited to about seven seconds to step away. And it's like 42 maybe yard field goal. And I mean, it didn't look like you have a freshman kicker. You want him? You don't. You can't snap that ball as he's rocking backwards to like get his alignment right. I mean, this is the SEC kind of West was on the line at the time. And long story short, like our our team did not our offensive lineman did not even get set while the. Uh, referee was standing over the ball so he backs away everybody starts like you know moving left and right the offensive line gets nice and comfortable we get our hands on it well by then what Gary takes the steps back when the referee backs off the ball like he didn't take them before and we've never been in that situation I mean it's never been like you would think that the referee would kind of and I might have been LSU or whatever I mean again it was only seven seconds so Gary had to take a step back he hit one second he's just now taking his last step and I know his rhythm like you can't snap that ball so we had to take a delay a game we've never been prepared for that situation and what happened long story short we back up five we have like you know seven seconds left Bo was supposed to throw a hitch to the sideline they're playing prevent they're playing 12 yards off and we had Laquan lined up to throw a quick hitch they weren't even playing and then he threw it uh 
I don't know why he went for the end zone uh, when we were down three. I uh, just threw it out there in a trip and prevent with three safeties. And Laquan was standing there. We just talked about it in the huddle. Regardless, the whole point is that get let Gary on the left hash with two seconds left and go back to the 42. We went to practice next week and it was like, you know, we should, you know, we, we, he should have. What I'm saying is when the ref's standing over the ball and it's end of the game, yeah, the, pl- the play clock's winding down. The kicker needs to go ahead and get his steps back and off the line. These knows this may be a special teams coach thing. They have to absolutely be set. Like when he steps away, snap the ball. And no one's ever been taught that. We never practiced it. And we went over the next week and got that fixed. Uh, so that, I mean, and look, Freeze, what's funny is he tried to, he always tries to push the blame. That's the thing. I mean, that's the thing that frustrated me. Like he, he was like, you should have snapped the ball at church the next day. And I'm like, Gary wasn't even on his last step. And it's, you know, he would actually shank this ball. I mean, a situation he's never prepared. I mean, we never, we've never done that the whole time I was there. And he's like, you, you know, that really hurt us. And I was like, did you I mean, say I got to fight with them. Yeah, it was our FCA church. And I was like, are you serious? Before our team meeting, before we went and played Arkansas. And I was like, uh, are you serious? I mean, are you serious? Like, I, didn't, are you, I can't tell if you're actually serious. Well, it was his mistake. He never knew to do that. And I would, I mean, Gary would have said, if you snapped that ball, it would have slipped. I mean, like in, in Death Valley. We fixed it the next week is what I'm saying. We actually practiced that. Like, this is what we have to do. We've never done the situation. But, like, are you really – you're the head coach. You know, like, you got to be on top of these things and know what to do. And you're like, let me put this uh, – let me find someone to blame for this. And that's, like, the thing with him, like, good and bad. Great schemer. But, like, that was a situation he hasn't prepared for. We've ne- He's never – it was a weird situation that the, that the refs literally stood there until seven seconds left. But that's what happened. You know, it's long story short, that's – I think he's – I don't – you're not always going to call a game that goes right. They're not going to be – like, we played Alabama in 14-15. Game plan's absolutely perfect. But we also knew what Saban does. He likes to get his defensive line set. He likes to get his subs in and out for the defensive line. So you go really, really quick. They always play man coverage, predominantly a form of cover one to where they're going to be pressed up on the outside with a five-star DB. But we know what? We had NFL wide receivers too. So – and we could scheme to that. Now, if you don't have NFL wide receivers, you're not going to create separation. That defensive line of the blitzes that he likes to set will probably get you, right? And, and the quarterback, is, it's, not a good, it's not a good situation. But if you go fast, which Saban hates, and they play cover one, you scheme for cover one, they actually do that, then, yeah, that's what happened. We beat him in 14, 15, and got close in 16. Um, and I think, like, the Memphis game, they – that in Arkansas, at least I know just from sitting in the meeting rooms, I mean – it wasn't what we planned for. They ran, you know, different cover two looks. They ran different zone blitzes that we didn't know. I mean, when we got blown out by TCU in 2014 in a Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A Bowl or Peach Bowl, they actually knew our signals, and they knew when a tight end lined up on a certain side, it wasn't just the strong side for the defense, but we were going to counter back every single time. And, and Patterson scheme for that, well, I mean, we found that – I found that out later – but that's why we couldn't do anything on offense. Like, they knew exactly what we were doing. So, that was kind of t- – you know what I mean? Like, they yeah. actually knew what we were doing and actually found out either our signals or how we lined up in the set, what to do, and we sucked that game, right? So, uh, it's not – I don't know. I mean, some stuff can be inexperienced, but I don't think it's always the case. Like, you're not going to call a great offensive game. And when I say don't call an offensive game, there's two things. You can't – sometimes you're not you're not experienced enough. I think more experienced coaches can make adjustments at half. When things don't work, this is not what we practice all week. These are not the sets where they're not doing it right. Guys don't remember. Or, you know, it's not working versus their defense. When we think they're doing a field missile blitz, we want to call a screen into it. 
and then we have the wrong play call. Stuff like that, that doesn't work, but you adjust to it. The experienced coaches, I mean, Belichick is the king of it, right? Let's think about the times he's, I mean, 27 to three, goes into halftime. What does he do? Puts into something that quick and knows where to turn. Um, so, you know, I, I just think experienced coaches can make adjustments. You know, younger coaches can really scheme and win really, really big games. And it's not always going to be perfect every game for any coach, but the really good ones know how to change at half and to adapt. I can't get past the church part. Was this during the confessional? Was he just like, I got to get this off my chest? It was, it was uh, I don't know. I, 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 it was after we left. I mean, it was after it was over. But I just was shocked by it. I was like, what about the hitch we were supposed to throw in the huddle with three seconds left? And we just throw it to – like, that's not even – like how, you know I mean? You're down three points, 10-7, you have four seconds, and they're, they're playing three deep safeties. I was like, what? Wait, why, why is this – what the heck? I mean – Yeah, just, I, I, I would have loved to snap it if, you know, a freshman kicker is kicking the biggest thing of his life and he can't hear anything in Death Valley and he's not even set his back foot yet and he's still going backwards. Like, that doesn't make too much sense to me, but sure, you're right, I'm wrong. <laughs> uh, we can get off in the weeds this forever, but I won't do it. But it cracks me up. The more and more, like, free stuff you hear is just, like, again, he did a lot of good things at Ole Miss. But, like, oh, there's gosh, yeah. a lot of he middle did. school stuff to where it's like, did that girl really just say that to me type of thing? It's like, what, what are you talking about? type of stuff like that i'll never forget the day he came out after shay's first start and was like he was sitting there with like a little rain umbrella which i didn't fully understand but he was like trying to basically not he's basically telling all of us to not ask him about johnny manzel because shay's his own man i'm like all right whatever dude that type of thing that was finally that was when i first was like all right there's something up with this guy but be that as it may it doesn't matter what georgia tech would have run they had no hope they that was just an absolute clown show they were terrible I mean, they were really terrible. They were a really, really terrible team. I mean, they they might as well be Troy or Central Arkansas. I mean, seriously. I mean, they they were – and I hate saying that about them. I mean, I wish we had a little bit more competition. They were worse than Bandy. I mean, they, they were oh, bad. Yeah. Oh, the uh, – I mean, the the Cedric Johnson post-game press conference is hilarious when he got asked about the block punt. because yeah, we were in punt prevent. I'm supposed to run up that right side. Then all of a sudden I get halfway there. Oh, my and, gosh. Oh, I might could block this. And he goes, then I got a little more ways. And he goes, oh, I might actually block this. And just kind of did it. Like, he wasn't going after the punt. Oh, my He just God. elected not to block him, which is a bold play. I'll tell you that much. Uh, not blocking <laughs> that type of guy um, seems like an interesting strategy. But to, to that point, like, Ole Miss really kind of did what it wanted to on the ground. And we've seen that over and over and over again. You know, Weldon and I were talking about on Sunday – do we get to the end of this non-conference schedule and the best non-conference opponent Ole Miss has played is either Troy or Tulsa? Because Georgia Tech's a disaster, and Troy had App State on the road beat, if not for a Hail Mary this past weekend. Um, they have some athletes on defense. I know that Summerall's kind of got a little bit of transition. He's got a new quarterback coming in and some different things going on there. But, like, they were so bad. At the same time, though, it's almost interesting. Like, didn't you feel like you could tell a little bit more about Ole Miss after this game? as bad as coach as Georgia Tech was, they at least had the athletes on the field, right? Like you knew they had like an ACC caliber defensive line. And so I guess that kind of leads me to this part of it is the run game absolutely for real. Um, You know, they're going to be able to run it on pretty much whomever they want to. And I think that's going to help Ole Miss in the long run, but kind of zeroing in on quarterback play for a minute. We talked about this on Saturday. We got about what? 25, 20-ish minutes in that first half, and it's like, I can't really tell anything. They're running it all over them. Dart hasn't had to do much. I think at one point, Ole Miss had run 25 plays on offense, and I think three of them were passes. So it's like, what in the That's world? A, yeah, I'm like sometimes you would see six in a row, and I'm like, oh, I mean, no one can ever do that. I mean, you can't do that. You can't get 
two, three straight first downs with just a run. I mean, it just blew my mind. It really was. And so with Jackson Dart and someone, you know, you have a pretty keen eye for this. It's certainly a more educated eye than anyone listening to this podcast right now. Just what did you make of the start, even though it was a little hard to tell stuff? Just what did you think of how he played overall? I thought, you know, if you look at just the sheer raw numbers, I had it pulled up earlier, but I exited out. They're not going to blow you away. But in terms of that, I thought he played better than that. Yes, there were some bad decisions mixed in there. But just what did you think of how he played in totality? Um. I mean, I think he played good. Uh, he can he can make throws. Uh, you know, hit a big deep corner route. Uh, he had a couple big long throws that look really good. I mean, it's just the thing that like I'm watching. If you sit, like, if you have, we just don't have. We have, I mean, it's great that we haven't had to. We haven't had a situation. Where we go first down, we run it, and it's second and ten, and then all of a sudden someone misses a block. We're looking at third and ten, and it's a seven-point game. We, we haven't been there. I mean, like, most of the time they're pretty deflated or they, we, it's coming – like, we may get in that situation after we start a drive when we get two first downs running it predominantly when the defense is worn out. And when he's made those throws, a lot of them were on – after getting two first downs by running it, you move the ball know, almost 20, 30 yards or something like that, and then it's first down – you're throwing it. I mean, that's a fantastic opportunity. There's separation, and most guys in college football should be able to hit a 25-yard corner out. I mean, especially the defense. You've been running it, running it, running it. You have separation. Luke can hit that. Jackson can hit that. That's not like one's better than the other. Both can hit that when you run that much. It's hard to tell. I mean, he's got the he's got the talent. I mean, he's got the heck of a lot of talent. But, like, the very few situations where, like, oh, my gosh, it's third and 12, and they're – dropping eight or they're playing a Tampa two and they're maybe they did a different coverage you didn't expect uh kind of what happens you get flushed out of the pocket and because receivers couldn't create separation because it's not man coverage on first down the safeties are playing low I mean of course people create separation there versus a team like that but I kind of want to see how we did when something didn't work out we didn't convert on a lot of those those big throws were earlier like in the possession after a ton of runs let's say early in possession like early on the down and distance and, and, like, the, the talent's there. The talent's great. I just – when something goes wrong, I want to see if he can really, really thread a needle when he has to on a dig across the middle. A lot of it's over the shoulder, over the shoulder, or leading a guy where there's room ahead of him. Um, look, he can make the throws. I just – you know, when I say bad decision, yeah. I, I'm just imagining if you're in an SEC game and it's a three-point game or seven-point game and you throw back across your body and you're on the road – that one mistake can cost you the game because of the change of momentum. Like the momentum just huge like that in an opposing stadium. Um, or, you know, and look, the only mistake, and I called you about this one, like I, I think it was the first half, pistol formation. Kiffin, uh, and they know the defensive end's biting down. So they do a reverse out, play action, sell it. Great sell. And the play fake gets out. Called a great play. The defensive end was crashing. You take your eyes there, then you take your eyes to the next guy in a split second, see if there's a backer blitzing off the edge or a safety, strong safety coming down or a nickel guy, whoever that is. Well, there was. And you decide in that one second when you turn your head after the play action on the reverse rollout, if you can anticipate it because I know a guy's coming at you, that's big time. But, you know, he probably – he can do that. I mean, definitely can. But there was a guy coming down at him. There wasn't created separation yet. You know right there, you throw it. I mean, you, you're going out of bounds. It was That was second and nine or second and ten. You just toss it. I mean, then you come back, you're looking at third and nine. Well, he held on to it, held on to it, got hit. 
got spun around and threw the ball like a grenade, you know, somewhat trying to get it away. That's just not – it's not solid. I mean, you got – I mean, if that turns out, if Will Anderson's flying up at you, you're getting rocked and that may be a fumble. I mean, it was down, so it went to third and 19. Well, of course, we didn't convert. What happens on third and 19? You call a screen, and you get a completion, you pat your stats, and someone may pop – I don't think we popped it, but, like, you're, you're completing a five-yard screen pass. I mean, that's just reality. You're not – your coach is not going to really push it down unless it's at the end of the game. So, like, I wish – that was the one I was like, man, if he just – it's simple. I mean, it's not that hard of a decision. The guy has a free shot at you. And your receivers haven't broke or created separation. You toss it and you go to third down, and that was just like you do that in an opposing stadium. You're really in trouble. And now, if he's able to, have, if he's like Johnny Manziel, and you can really shake someone like that, I know I couldn't at all, and most guys can't. Like, great, but none of those guys can, and very few quarterbacks can. So that's the only thing that was like the knock. And look, of course, he threw in the the interception across before half. But look, he came back in the second quarter. But there is, it's all. I mean, there just hasn't. They were deflated. They're down 30-something points, and they've been run on over 300 yards and destroyed the whole game. Like, I just uh, – I, I feel good in Jackson. I, you very much know the talents there. I just uh, – I want to see him have full control of the game. And when I say if you make a mistake or make an interception, I can tell – or most, most people can tell. I, I think even a fan can. That was a bad interception or a pretty bad decision. Like, you may make something that you thought you could fit or a guy – really had a good break on like a DB took a chance there's no one protecting him on his back and he absolutely took a chance on that's tough right but uh I just I just want him to be clean versus Tulsa that's all it doesn't have to be perfect he can miss a throw like you can miss a throw off the mark you can throw it on a guy's fingertips that's fine you know miss in the right places and makes throw it away when you need to don't take a bad sack I mean like you're not going to be perfect uh just be like command that offense is all I'm saying. And then, look, we have the run game to back you up. So I just think for the rest of the season, you have a freaking two weapons back there that's going to bail you out and put pressure on the defense for you to where it's going to open up if you just don't compound it and, and hurt the team's momentum. Because you have all that. You have a you have a great running back behind you. Yeah, you hit on a couple of really interesting points there. And the first one is just the, the fact that you haven't been in those adverse situations to where, like you mentioned, I mean, you all see this throughout the course of a football game. It's third down and eight, seven minutes to go in the third quarter, and you're down four. And you know, like, hey, we really need this one to kind of get it across midfield and get something going, whether it's to start a second half or whatever. Right. They have not been in that situation, a real one, one time. I think he had one. I can't remember if it was a second or third down throw, but I think it was a third down throw, nine or ten yards, where he hit it in a really tight window to Mingo over the middle of the field. Yeah. I was like, damn, that was a really solid throw. I think that was to start the third quarter. I could be wrong about that. But that one stuck out. But you're right. They, they haven't been in that situation where, particularly on the road, right, stadium kind of bearing down mm -hmm. on you. Like, you really – this is a big boy first down. You've got to make this. They haven't been in that situation yet, and that's just a byproduct of how the schedule has played out. But that's another fascinating part. You're going to get that against Kentucky here in two weeks. That's really what all this right. is about, right? This is a 13-day buildup to Kentucky. You know, work on whatever you need to work on, blah, blah, blah. But from a fan's perspective, all eyes are on October 1st, and I think that's where you're going to learn a lot about this football team on both the offensive and the defensive side of the ball. But it is an interesting point where it's like, you know, if you're going to kind of shit on him for the bad decisions – or I say you, I just mean collectively people out there. 
if you're going to get frustrated with the bad decisions, or if you look at the stat line and you think, ah, oh, that's not a lot. Well, it's like, you can't tell a lot from that. Well, you, you can't also tell can't much, tell a lot right. from the fact that he hasn't been in those adverse situations yet. You know what I mean? I'm not saying you should get like the yeah. benefit of the doubt, but it just, it shouldn't be an automatic no because it hasn't happened yet type of thing. Because, you know, some of the intangibles are there, right? Like, I mean, he hit that. We'll oh yeah. The talent's hit, there. I mean, it's, it's definitely there. And he hit the truck stick on the kid. Like he, he loves being in that environment. Like that, if the one thing, if you talk to people around him, he's, he's not shying away from that by any stretch. And then the other piece of it is what you're talking about. And one of the things I learned on Saturday from you calling me during whatever drive that was, where you're talking about where they had the, the pistol and the reverse rollout. Well, everyone yeah. sees him getting slung to the ground and he slings it down almost like a spike bowling ball type thing. And it's like, ah, oh, that wasn't a good decision that could have gone anywhere. What you pointed out is that's actually the second of two mistakes, right? That should have been thrown away immediately. His first mistake. Yeah, you, you know when you flip your that eyes. Play, right? That's a, that's a right. no-go, right? So it, it's like it's take the process in your head. It, you should, like, I don't know. You, you, you extend the play action. At least when I train my guys, like, you, once you do that play action, you're stopping your momentum. You don't run back to the running back. Because if you take your momentum – too back, too far back to the running back. You end up doing a really big circle, and you create too much depth away from the line of scrimmage, and you can't flip your shoulders and get around to get your eyes to the DN and to your receivers. So, like you play action, which they teach these guys, you play action with one step, and then you flip your hips quick as you can, and you get your eyes to the DN and that overhang because that's the first thing. If it, you know what I mean, if the DN doesn't bite down, you're taking a shot. And if you don't, if you have a real slow circle turning around, reversing out, you're taking a huge sack. So, like your eyes should automatically go there. Well, look, it's not like he had a defensive end coming screaming at him. It was a great play call. Then you roll out. Well, I'm looking at – I mean, this is even high school stock. High school, high school guys know this. Then you're looking at the second level. You're looking at your routes. Well, all of a sudden, this guy comes screaming in your face. That's untouched. And right there, you know, it's, it's out. Like, it's out. Your momentum's already going to the sideline. It's an easy toss away. But it was just wait, 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 wait. Oh, let me get hit. All right, what do I do? Toss it. Let me try to get it, you know, you toss it incomplete. And it was like, that's just – you don't wait that long. You don't, you know, that's just, that's what I'm saying. You're hanging on too much. Um, and I don't want to say look like I might hate Jackson. The guy's in St. Town. He's going to be a darn good quarterback. I just, it was a finally a situation that's just not like easy. Got time. Defense doesn't know we're throwing, um, you know, and it was kind of what do you do in that situation? What are you trained to do? Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. You kind of know that right off the bat when you t- when after you flip your hips and you get your eyes over there, you should know one, two, not there, guy scream and toss it. And and uh, so that's the only thing. I mean, but you know, and he'll improve and they'll watch the film on that. I mean, they, they came in this morning and when they review that play, I've been, I've been told that. I mean, they, the coaches will see that and be like, you know, right now, if you can't anticipate him breaking on that 10-yard out or corner and lead him to the sideline, which the receivers weren't open, right? Like they weren't open yet. And uh, you toss it. I mean, you just can't – you're not going to outrun a strong safety. I mean, uh, you're, you're not going to outrun someone like that. And he didn't, right? I mean, he, it just – it just only – you can make matters a whole lot worse. Yeah, no, and I don't mean to harp on it too long. I just think it's interesting because that's the type of stuff that, the, like, I would say the average fan cannot tell, right? You think, oh, that was a bad decision, him trying to sling it and throw it away. It worked out. It's like, well, actually, that's kind of the second one. And he got in that position because of the first bad decision. I think that's right. what's fascinating about it. But then there's a lot of good stuff. And what's – cracks me up about like the whole dart evaluation piece of it is, I mean, he makes three or four throws a game where you're like, damn, like how many quarterbacks can make that throw in this league or really anywhere mm-hmm. in the country. Right. I mean, he had a couple of those on, on Saturday as well. And so that's how, you know, the promise is there. Right. And I think part of what. Has you definitely seen, can see it. Right. Oh yeah. You can see the talent. Right. I mean, that's the whole, that's the, like, that's kind of the most common refrain with him. It's like, you can see the talent. 
But I think part of what skewed it is Ole Miss, is, uh, Ole Miss fans are so used to seeing 2021 Matt Corral, where it was, you know, if he made a bad decision, it was a rarity. Whereas I would remind people that wasn't the case in 2020. Granted, he was, you know, a, I would say better in little and little bit. Yeah, and, yeah, it, that's true. But and he didn't have he didn't have this run game. He didn't have like just a dominant people that's around him in true. 2020. Let's just think about that. I mean, I'm telling you, if you'd establish a run game and you're what the leading SEC rushing game right now, like it makes matters a lot easier on the quarterback to make smarter decisions because yes, you're exactly your, your right. there was just less talent open. around him. And I don't think Matt goal. had that. Right. Right. And right. the other piece of it was, is yeah, this is our guy. Like, no, I mean, no offense, but we're not playing Plumlee. Like he wasn't in a real quarterback composition. You know what I mean? Yeah, he two picks, it's like, yeah, there's no other guy on the sideline. Like this is just kind of is what it is. And so that was kind of what I was getting at is it, everything just seems to be so, oh, I want to say over scrutinized, but we're so focused on every detail of this whole thing, partially because Kiffin's drug out this quarterback, you know, quote unquote competition into the regular season. I think that's one small byproduct of it, as I've mentioned a couple of times, but to your point, there was a good portion of it too. And I thought that third quarter, I thought that was really, I won't say a switch flip because, you know, well, it remains to be seen in that sense, but I thought he played really, really well in that third quarter. And yeah, not that that was a turning point, but it was like, okay, finally, he's got a full game. It's a normal game. They didn't get weird like the Troy game. He finally settled in. And I thought that third quarter was pretty, pretty damn good. And, I, you know, if that's kind of a sign of something to build off of, I think that's kind of – that third quarter Ole Miss offense, I think, was, you know, as, as close as you could hope for in terms of this thing operating at maximum capacity. They're running the ball really well, and when they need a throw, they can get it to keep you honest, right? It's not one of those things where – Oh, uh, what was that kid from State a few a while back? Where Tyson Lee, nice kid, State ran the game. Ran oh the yeah, game. I was like oh, seven, I think. I was about to say if it was seventeen, yeah, more than a few years. My God, we're old. The, <laughs> but if it was more than 16, 17 yards on the field, it's just not happening. There's just no hope. That's not what this situation is. And I think that kind of came on display in the third quarter, and I thought that was an encouraging sign before that game just turned into a complete joke. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. 
at hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, it did. I mean, it, uh, yeah. The other aspect of it with Kiffin, you know, I don't know if this is just fans making too much of it or whatever, but it's 42 nothing, and that guy's looking like someone just shot juice on the sideline. Like, he is coaching his yeah. till the final whistle. Look, I know all coaches do that, and I don't want to make up too much of something, but someone brought up an interesting point to me the other day. Do you think part of that is, is he knows how much talent there is on this team, and if you can really just kind of put these pieces in place and the quarterbacks in play, kind of everything's on the table for this team? Because that felt like – you know, we can get to some of the around the SEC stuff in a minute. That felt like what some of that – like, that's what it seemed like to some degree, where he kind of knows what they have a chance to do. Because, look, man, that defense is real. That running game's real. That'll translate anywhere. It just feels like he knows what he has, and that's kind of what kept him – I won't say sour through the final whistle, but he was on everyone despite the game being well out of hand. Yeah, no, the, I, I think that's right. And I, I, he knows that. You know, Georgia Tech is lacking, and uh, he expects more of his team. And and, and that's such a good place. That's a, that's a great place to know. It's a good place to be, and, and I'm glad he's that way. And, yeah, he knows it. How big of an advantage – this is a bad question, but Dart seems to be the guy now. We'll get into the Kiffin's weird quotes here in just a second after this. But, like, Dart being the guy now – if you were in this situation and you knew how good these running backs were behind you and how good this running game was behind you, I know I've asked you some version of this before, but just when you're taking the field each and every Saturday, is that any more comforting in the moment? I know you're trying to go out there and do as best you can and kind of take over a game or whatever, but is it a lot more comforting when you know, like, my God, the dudes behind me, no one else has. And if I can just kind of keep this in between the lines to some degree, not have to take risks. I guess the antithesis is of watching Kyler Murray on Sunday in Las Vegas to where it got to a point where it's like, all right, we're down 23, nothing. The rest of these guys aren't very good. I'm just going to have to do everything type of thing. Like how comforting is that as a quarterback to know what you have behind you and Zach Evans and, you know, Judkins. And it's unbelievable. It's all, it's better than even receivers because really? if you have receivers, you have to have an offensive line. I mean, you know what? Like you have an offensive line that has to block for you for a second. And if you don't have a run game and you don't have an offensive line, then, they're key, they're not you know they're not breaking on routes like they're these guys they're just keying in and they're jamming up receivers and as a quarterback you kind of have to have those things but you turn it around and you may have one or two you know good receiver but it doesn't matter how good they are if they're playing zone coverage a lot and they're trying to stop the run and your offensive line gives you time well regardless how unbelievably talented they are out wide they can still catch football in the SEC so and they're going to create they'll be open so uh, yeah, I guess it's probably definitely comforting for Kiffin and be comforting for a quarterback. We'll get back to Ryan Buchanan in just a second, but wanted to take a quick break to remind you that this podcast is brought to you by our friends at BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a fully proven online therapy service that can connect you with a licensed therapist in under 48 hours. Therapy is just like anything else. We perform routine maintenance on our cars. We change the tires. We get oil changed. We put gas in it. And if we didn't, it wouldn't work for very long. Our brains are uh, the same way. 
therapy is a great way to improve your mental health and how your brain functions affects the way you live. Need to give it a try. If you're feeling anxious, need to get something off your chest. Sometimes it's just nice to have someone to talk to. Um, you don't even have to go on camera if you don't want to. You can go audio only. It's really laid back. They'll get you set up. Therapy is a great way to feel better and live better. Check them out. Betterhelp.com. Use that promo code MPW and you get 10% off. The podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg. If you're a Rippy Right subscriber, that's rippyrights.substack.com. You get a free newsletter for me a couple of times a week, plus discounted meats. Right now, it's a 16-ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. That's a hell of a way to kickstart your grilling weekend. Just go show him proof of subscription. He'll get you set up. Then go find your own favorites. Oxford's so lucky to have a great butcher shop like LB's. If he doesn't have it, he'll get it for you. Greg wants to make your grilling experience great. I imagine he'll have it because he has all kinds of delicious cuts, seafood, sausages, love the tri-tips, the filet burgers. There's all kinds of delicious stuff there. Greg loves to grill, loves uh, loves the meats, and you can tell from the uh, product and the selection he has on display. Go check him out, LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, back to Ryan Buchanan. When you're going, and I've asked Nick Broker some version of this, you know, it got to the point where it just got demoralizing for Georgia Tech, right? They couldn't stop anything running the football. When you're out there and you're uh, like a, you're running, like you're just kind of running the football down the throat, can you kind of sense, I mean, it may just be the offense as a whole, but can the offensive line kind of smell blood in the water and it's just like we're about to just smash these guys? Like, can you kind of sense when you have three, four solid running plays in a row and you know they can't stop it that the offensive line is just like, all right, we're about to smash these guys. Oh yeah, no, that, that that's from them. Yes, I mean they'll they'll come off the sideline saying like we're destroying them. I mean let's keep run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. I mean yeah, they get confident, they get just as confident too, and they're saying let's run the ball. Like we, I, they know they're winning their their matchups. They know they're holding their line on on the offensive line. So yeah, the, the, they'll they'll control that momentum just as much. Who was the craziest lineman you played with? Was it Conyers? Because I don't know if that guy talks uh, a bunch or he's just silently nuts. Uh, I'd say uh, Rod Taylor. Okay. No doubt. Uh, I would say Rod. Uh, Robert Robert can be insane in a football game, but uh, no, I mean, who wasn't as crazy? It was definitely Rod Taylor. Uh, I would say I would say Rod for sure. I mean, just talking about crazy linemen. Like Laramie, cool as a cucumber, half asleep yeah. out there, and he's keeping, you know, Miles Garrett at bay, and uh, but Rod was pretty crazy, and then Robert would bring the juice. What Rod is he just like a huge like? Is he talking like? Is he just yelling at them? Like is he a huge like like smash yes. talker? <laughs> okay. Yes, 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 very much. I can imagine that can be good and bad, right? Though, because you're the quarterback, <laughs> and things aren't going well, and he's pissing off the defensive end. I can imagine be like, hey. Could you not do that type of thing? But at the same time, you're probably also not going to tell him to stop doing something because he does have to block. Yeah. That is true. No, yeah, look, I mean, I, they, they can talk all they want. The trenches doesn't, I mean, again, doesn't ma- matter to me as long as he keeps fighting. If that pisses, if that pisses Rod off to hit harder, then I'm all for it. Just in your football sense as a whole, I know I got uh, Weldon's thoughts on this on Sunday, but I'm just curious, like, when you look at this defense, I thought one of the more telling things of this game is one, this defense will travel and this defense will play. Because Georgia Tech, not that they've had great success offensively this year, they had a competent quarterback and a competent running game. And to me, Ole Miss just looks really fast and they look really athletic offensively, or excuse me, defensively. I'm just curious, you know, they do the 3-2-6 thing. They appear to be somewhat more multiple this year. 
you know, you played with two really, really good defenses, particularly that 14 defense. Can you sense that this is a group that's pretty confident and they're pretty good at what they do? Because, you know, I've watched these Ole Miss defenses for the last half decade. I don't know how to describe it other than the fact that this defense seems a hell of a lot faster and a hell of a lot more athletic than the ones I've watched previously. Yeah, and no, I definitely think they are. You can tell that there's different talent there. I mean, I, I wish you could say, like, well, we have better – coaching and but it all comes down to talent guys break quicker guys break through an offensive line they shoot a gap quicker I mean you know a guy uh oh my gosh I can't believe I forgot his name um DJ Jones that plays for Denver now he signed a big contract with Denver and played for the 49ers for the last four years and he came in from East Mississippi and he would beat wide receivers in a 10-yard dash absolutely came out like a cannon really and it was he beat me. Now I'd beat him like at twenty and thirty, but I looked at him. Literally the first day he got there, like in spring, and I was like, "That was unbelievable." And I would look around after like ten yards, look to my left, he's beating half the uh, skill guys. And look where he is now. I mean, he's a starting nose guard in the NFL, but that's kind of a name. Maybe people don't remember. They they kind of want to talk about Robert Kendici and and others like that. But like that guy's one of the best nose guards in the NFL, but he was quicker than skill guys in the first 10 yards. So Matt, I'm just, again, that was just talent. That's talent. So you can see that from a fan standpoint. Now there's, there's different ways. You can have a Jordan Davis there at 6'6", 340, or like DJ who's 5'11 and can be real quick. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you, I, I think there is. I definitely, you can definitely tell that. And they have a lot of belief in themselves. Big difference from our era of being 130th defense in the country. I think we've turned that uh, turned that around. I would say just uh, ever so slightly. And the last thing I have on the quarterback before you just get a couple of SEC thoughts and get out of here is the uh, – so Kiffin went through his Saturday press conference after the game and said he didn't want to make a decision on quarterback until he's watched the film. Luke would have done great too if he went out there first. Then he kind of reaffirms the same thing on Monday, and maybe this would be the first time you could qualify me as genuinely surprised at something he said about this. The fact that he's not – you know, publicly making this Jackson Darts football team, despite everyone kind of with any sort of brain cell knowing that this is his team, this is the starter guy. I'm just curious what you make of that. I mean, you know, I have these things I call, I don't know if I'll call them Kiffinisms or Kiffin is in that WTF zone, but he does these weird things, whether it was him harping on the crowd noise last year, or excuse me, crowd size last year unnecessarily, or just various things that he just kind of likes to harp on. They're like almost quirks in terms of the way he faces the media. I think this is one of them, but I'm just curious what you make of him just refusing to publicly say, this is our guy type of thing. Like, it seems just kind of weird at this point. Is there an upside to it? I'm just curious what you would think if you were in that situation. I don't think he's saying that just to keep Luke's spirits up. Okay. I mean, there's more to it than that. I, I really, I mean, there's more to it than to make that kind of statement at this point after three games. And, I personally believe it's kind of what I thought. Jackson has not proven that much. Yeah, he's made some throws, but every SEC Luke can make the same throws if he was in that position. I mean, it really, I mean, it was such an easy game that we're putting up 300 yards on the ground. Yeah. And if he didn't have those mistakes, like, I, I really, I'm not saying, I, I think he knows he wants to go with Jackson. I think he does. But he doesn't feel completely like, all right, this guy's completely proven it to me. Like, I still have some reservations. We may get into a Kentucky, and he throws a pick six in that first quarter. Uh, uh, he still thinks that could happen in his mind that he does. And 
if he still feels that way, then he wants to keep Luke involved, not because of his feelings, but because he needs him. It needs him to really buy into the game plan and want to watch film. It's hard to want to do that when you know you're not even getting a chance. It's like, I mean, you're pretty like, I'm not even going to, I'm not playing. But I think he's saying that he's going to give Jackson the chance, but he's still, when you actually face a real front seven, when you face real DBs and you face a defense that's not, you know, keying on the run every single down, what's going to happen versus Kentucky and after kind of wants Luke engaged in case it doesn't happen. That's just what I think. And I think he knows, look, he's going to roll with Jackson. I think Jackson's going to start the next game. And if he plays smart, like you don't have to, like I said, you don't have to hit every throw. You can miss some. Don't take bad sacks. Don't make bad interceptions. Just play clean. And then he'll feel a little bit better. He may say it after Tulsa. But I think that's what it is. And look, it's not saying he didn't have, He'd have to do much. That's the thing. You get a high completion rate, get a lot of completions, you throw little screens here or there, and then you complete that big pass when it's first down, there's separation. You've run, you know, 40 yards and three first downs on the run, right? Like 23 out of 26 plays. Like you said, that's insane. I'm just – that's just my opinion. Like, it's nothing against Jackson, and it's nothing against Luke. I just think he kind of wants to keep him in there because he's not too fully sure and bought in that this guy's going to roll, and I don't know what he's going to do. I mean, you know, look – Again, like I've you know I've mentioned that like with Chad, it was a different game when we went in Alabama away. I mean, we had five turnovers and we started every drive on their own inside their red zone just because of turnovers, and we ran the ball through one pass touchdown, but was not running the offense and was freaking out. I mean, there's a guy across the middle; he just takes his eyes elsewhere and then scrambles, takes a big hit for three yards, completely missed what we're trying to run here because it was a big time environment. That being said, he settled in later, and luckily we had a lot of good things go that way. And then Chad settled in after that. But, like, at the time, that was way different than those first two games. And uh, and that's the whole reason, like, you know, Freeze told me to go in that next series because he's not doing what we're playing. Like, this is not our game plan. We just did they, – they had two quarterbacks. I can't remember the last time they didn't know who was playing quarterback between Cooper Jones and Jake uh, – that guy, whoever his name was. And um, Jake Cooper Bateman and the other kid, Jake Coker. That's yeah. when they were going back and forth, and that's when like they didn't. I mean, they were struggling, man. I mean, they, they've never had five offensive turnovers like that. So, like, all I'm saying is, and there was a kind of that whole first half was real, real shaky. Settled in, one of the best SEC quarterbacks, right, and the best in almost history for the rest of the season. But you don't really know when you don't face anything is what I'm trying to say. I think and. uh and even like I, we didn't have the strong running game our first two games. I mean, we weren't popping off like this. I mean, he had he had a chat to do more of those first two games than what Jackson's had to do. Um, but I think that's what it is. It's just we've been so insanely dominant, haven't played anybody that can stop us on the run. And if it does not go as planned, then he wants Luke engaged to keep buying in just in case. That's just, I guess that's what I think. No, and I think it's a really one smart and two fascinating point because everyone is so you know, we talk about fans or discourse or whatever the case may be. Everyone's so used to just, hey, you're four games, three games into the season, like name a starting quarterback. That's just kind of how we've always done things where you pointed out is, again, I, you know, I thought, I thought this was the first game where we could tell something about this team as a whole. I thought we saw a little more from Jackson Dart than we did in the first two games, but to say, you know, any sort of definitive about how he is as a quarterback and what he will be, I think you see signs of what he can be. Right. I don't think you can do I, I don't think you can say the former. I think you can kind of hypothesize on the latter piece of it. I think that's a fascinating piece of it is where I feel like, you know, fans listening to this or, you know, just in general kind of want to put the 
get ahead of their skis a little bit, whereas Kiffin doesn't really feel like he has to rush this thing. And, you know, he's a guy that's always talked about the quarterback psyche, um, you know, three, four times since he's been at Ole Miss. I know the famous one is when Matt Corral threw six interceptions at Arkansas and he just was adamant about putting him back in the game because, quote, he's our guy. Dart throws the pick against Troy. He comes back out for one more drive that wasn't necessarily planned because he thought, well, I don't want the quarterback to end the day on a bad thing. He's very conscious of the quarterback. Mm-hmm. I love that, man. I really, it smart. worked both ways, though. Right? It's smart. You know what yeah. I mean? They say, not that he's trying to, like you said, protect Luke's feelings or Luke's psyche or whatever. I think it's the fact that he doesn't think Jackson Dart has, while he thinks he's the quarterback, while he's definitely going to go with him for these next couple of games until it goes bad. I don't think he's ready to fully just say he's our team because if it doesn't go well, like you just mentioned, and he goes. Look at A&M. I mean, look at A&M. That just happened exactly. to A&M earlier. Exactly. I mean, they played, we they talked played, about a little bit about they, that last yeah, week, exactly. right? Like, I mean, these are good teams they played. They were different conferences, but they're actually pretty good football teams. But right, like the same thing you mentioned, you're exactly right. Yeah, right. Not to go full on like to to zen about it, but not the fact. Not only is it the the Altmaier aspect, if it is if this doesn't go well for Dart when they play a real competition, it and he has to go with someone else. I don't think he wants it to feel like, hey, you're getting benched. You were the starting guy. Now you're not anymore because this didn't go well. Right? It kind of works. Yeah ways in that sense and I feel like that's I say hard for some fans to understand I don't mean to like sound like I'm preaching because it's confused the hell out of me too it's very unconventional but I can also see it in a way now I will ask you this if you were Jackson Dart and you had gotten the start against the first quote-unquote real opponent you had played pretty well for the most part would you be weirded out by not being handed the keys yet like so far I uh no I mean, that's who cares? You're actually you're actually starting the game. Okay. You're actually getting all the reps. Who cares what the media? Who cares what like? Oh, they've officially named me. Oh, Finally, okay. I got the recognition I wanted. Like, awesome, dude! You're starting the games. So you've gotten to play the whole time. Like, you know, I I I don't think it's like, oh, my coach doesn't trust me. You're taking all the reps during practice. I know he is, so he doesn't care whether they say that or not. I mean, that's what I think. Like, it's not. It's not weirded out by it. I think. I think it's like I know I'm playing. I'm going to keep. I'm going to keep doing it. I mean, I just I want to see something like, you know, we get in third and eleven. He drops back. There's pressure, and if there's a room to step up, step up. Bail out if you have to. Set your feet. Throw. Step up. Hit your third read. You know, go across. Read good. First read not there. Second read not there. Step up. Hit your third read. Do, just do that once. And, and it's just been first read, great throw, awesome throw. You know, like that's what it's been so far when there's been – and it's had to hit his first throw because, you know, they're getting separation because they run the ball so hard. So, if you see something like that, even against Tulsa, it's kind of like a confirmation. Like, okay, you're calming down. You're being smart. And uh, that's – when I watch quarterbacks, I'm watching just down and distance making right decisions from what I've been trained on. and taught to do and that's kind of how i watch it and uh and i don't always know i don't know the playbook i don't know what the play was i'm watching tv or something but yeah i mean that's and i I think he starts doing that then he'll feel more comfortable going into to kentucky kiffin will and this gets decided against kentucky or you know if it's if it's dart right like if he plays well at kentucky then that's 
probably when Kiffin feels comfortable handing them the reins, you know, publicly, whatever the hell you want to call it. It's like, all right, yes, this is his team. Because at that point, what, you're five games in, he's played well against the real defense. Like, this is yeah. it. It's the lack of proof thing. Last year, it's a fascinating way to think about it, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely unconventional. People don't like what they're not used to. But I, I don't necessarily blame him for not rushing it as confusing as it may seem and as obvious as it may seem because, I don't know, this sport is weird. There's stuff happens all the time that we don't expect. Right. I mean, I, yep. I, I used the example the other day, Kenny Trill, remember him? He had that like three touch. Unbelievable. Yeah, it was like five or six. Yeah, Wasn't he benched like four games later? He, 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 it was. he finished at TCU, but like, you know, stuff like yep. that. Anthony Richardson's another example. It was like, Oh my God, Dan Mullen, world's biggest idiot. Cause he threw a cool touchdown pass or two point conversion against Utah. Now it's like, huh. Actually, this guy might actually oh, be what we think we thought he was. I still, by the way, I'm still thinking about that. I'm still, I don't, <laughs> I don't think he meant, I really don't think he meant to pump fake. I don't I really think he, don't think he meant, because he was too close. Right. He, he's like, he told me I meant to throw it, and then, oh, I kept it. He was too, like, he pump fake if it's one step further away, and it's more of a pump fake, not a jump and twist. I think the guy literally just missed the tap I don't think it was a punt like I'm gonna try to pump fake this guy I think it just kind of worked out he was so close and missed the tackle and look I'm not trying to hate on him but I was still thinking about that like it goes into you've seen quarterbacks pump fake near the end zone of the red zone it happens earlier than when he right when he's on top of your body it's almost like he was trying to spin and get away from I don't know it was just it was a weird kind of thing like uh, I don't know I was just thinking about that I think he saved himself from himself at the last possible moment you can hold on to the that's right yeah the last it's not a pump moment. fake like, but it's like oh be, no I don't need to do this oh, but crap. His hand. that's what I think it was that's what I'm trying to say because it doesn't make sense it was that close it was not a concerted effort of a really good move I'm going to try to do right here and then the inverse, we used the Haynes King example. Look, Max Johnson comes in, and guess what? It wasn't really any better. Miami has a decent defense, but that – I mean, I don't know if you – how much you watched that game. That wasn't an inspiring offensive effort a couple of hours. But to your – like, to, to kind of underscore Kevin's point, if you go back to Haynes King at this point, though, that's different than if they were just both kind of – he, you know, use him some here, blah, blah, blah. They're both still in the mix. What Kevin's doing with Altmaier and Dart, whatever you think of what the competition actually is – if, if Max Johnson sucks and they lose to Arkansas next week and he's real bad and it gets to the point where you have to go back to Haynes King, that's different, right? The whole benching, getting him back up, like that's way different than it just yeah. like, like – It looks like you're giving both guys game. a chance. It looks like you're kind of giving both guys a chance, you know, after that first game. Exactly. Like, oh, I'm giving him a chance now instead of you already named it. Sorry. That, that, exactly. That's how it is. All right, a couple of things I want to throw at you before we get out of here. I watched that Miami game. Van Dyke seems like a nice quarterback, can throw it okay. Between that and coming off the heels of Mississippi State pissing that one away at LSU where they look like they were in control for about two and a half quarters, I have a theory. I don't think this is true in the NFL. I think it's kind of leaning sort of that way, but quarterbacks are so smart. The way the game is played now, I think you can still get away with it. In college – if you are a complete statue who cannot run at all, right? I don't think you were known as a running quarterback, but when the pocket was flushed, you could get out of there and make positive out of something, right? You could get to the right. side. You could get out and make positive. It's, it's, it's extending a play. Don't be yes. a dual threat. So it's like, it's like, I mean, are you popping a 60-yard run and beating a safety that runs a 4-3? Yes. No. A pocket breaks down. Are you able to get rid of that defender or shake one with either height, weight, and explosiveness to get out and then – run at second and three and you run eight yards for first down first down like you see that all the time that's may not be a dual threat quarterback extending but you the, play you have the ability to do that right and I, yeah i wish i got to show that more because I, I could 
do that at practice when I was afforded to. And so you're right. Extend the plays when you need to. Okay, so I was watching the, the state game and then the Miami game, and that poor Van Dyke kid just could not scramble, man. He'd even beat the defensive end, and then the next person that would come up and try to get him, like if that guy's in three yards with him, Van Dyke was getting two and a half of those yards, and that was literally it. I am just of the opinion now, if you have a quarterback that is a pure pocket passer that cannot extend plays, your ceiling is a lot lower in this sport. I'm just curious what you think about that because I like I like Will Will Rogers as a quarterback. I think his timing is honestly kind of mesmerizing to watch sometimes in that system. But, dude, he doesn't even try to scramble. He takes a yep. sack and the ball's still by his shoulder where it's still like I'm still looking to throw. He doesn't think about it. I'm just curious what you think about that theory. It seems like – I don't know. Like it, it, Miami felt it's such a disadvantage in a winnable game in College Station because that kid literally could not turn – second and 10 when he's fleshed out to third and four versus third and 11. That, that, that's exactly the case. But who is, who is Will's left tackle last year? Charles and where did, where did he get, where, where did he go in the draft? Okay. So you can sit there and bounce and bounce and bounce. Sure. One, and and like go through your reads and he's really good at it. You have a year, you, you take that first step. I right, have watched the safety, take my eyes down to the route. Boom. Um, I'm, I'm either, I'm feeling that pressure. I feel it's getting to me. What do I do? And can you get out? Can you find a way out? Like Bryce Young's probably the king at that. I mean, I don't think Bryce – he may can probably probably runs like a 4-5. He can run 30, 40 yards. But, man, he can find his way out of that closing down pocket, right? Or he had, And I think Will has a good internal clock. But if that line had some injuries and they're not doing as well, well, like Matt Corral, I would say – I would almost say Matt was a dual threat. I mean, Matt could do runs like when he actually took off and – like kept it up the middle, he would make him uh, a linebacker miss and avoid a safety and get a touchdown on a 30-yard run. Like, I don't think I could do that. I can't cut that sharp, but I could extend out of a pocket and get my eyes downfield and do a scramble drill. Get like eight or nine, something like that. Uh, but, yeah, I don't, think, I, don't, I don't think Will has that. And I think if he has the Charles Cross and has that line, he can shine, but it's going to be a different story without it. Yeah, no, Matt, by the time 2022 hit, I think it was very proven he was an efficient runner that could absolutely do it. I mean, how he broke a running back's record for most carries in a game at Tennessee last year. I don't know if that was necessarily by design, but like that, that kid proved he could do it, which is kind of the ironic part of the whole Plumley corral debate. Um, really, last thing before we get out of here, do you buy into this concept that the West is a little bit more wide open than we think? Because uh, I'm not yes. ready to write Alabama off after a close call at Texas. I think there's a world where they still are just kind of awesome. But who else is good? I thought Arkansas was the other team. I that thought was Arkansas was, was it. Like, I thought it was it. And look, let's just look. I know we haven't played anybody because we haven't. We haven't played anybody. But if you're looking around, everyone's trying to find that team that's going to push uh, Alabama. And you're like, you're looking around. Someone, every team is not proving what they thought they were going to be and has fallen off. Now, like, will that happen to us against Kentucky? I don't think so. Not at home, especially not 11 a.m. game on the road. That's tough for them. I mean, sorry, not, I say on the road, like, that's tough for Kentucky, 11 a.m. on the road. Um, yeah, yeah. And I still think – I think we'll have a pretty full game there. I really do. It's the first SEC game. I know I we dog Ole Miss fans and student sections for being 11 a.m. I think they'll actually come out for it personally. I really do. And, uh, and I think it'll be tough for Kentucky. And if we show out – I think we're that team if if we prove it in Kentucky. I mean, because we've proved it defensively. We've proved it with the best running game we've had in, in decades for our running back perspective. Uh, I think we can prove it at quarterback. I really do. Uh, it's just haven't had the opportunity and got to play a little bit smarter. So I think I think we can be that team to jump out. Uh, 
So that's kind of what I'm thinking. You're right. Someone else has fallen uh, each week. It's going to make for a fascinating and entertaining fall. He is Ryan Buchanan. I appreciate the time as always, my man. This is terrific stuff. We'll talk to you again next week. Beautiful. All right. That is our show. If you made it to the end, I appreciate you making this podcast a part of your day. Once again, we'll be back at it with fresh cuts and Greg's picks on Friday. I don't know what else. I'm working on a couple of things, but uh, if they don't fall through, we'll just do fresh cuts, maybe an open at the top. But uh, we'll kind of see how that goes. But definitely back with a podcast on Friday, just not entirely positive what that is going to entail yet. But anyway, it'll be good stuff. As always, I appreciate you guys listening. Y'all have a great middle part of your week, and we'll chat again on Friday. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine. Stop noticing. But you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-Month Emergency Food Kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com